Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul here begins to instruct Titus, who uh, is like Timothy, one of his sons in the faith. He is one who comes alongside of him to instruct him in how he is to function as a pastor in the life of the church. He is giving him instruction of the things to speak how to speak to the older men of the congregation, how to speak to the, uh, the women of the congregation, what to do in teaching the young women of the congregation, and how they are to be instructed by the older women of the congregation to love their husbands and to love their children. So this instruction needs to go on in the life of the church from the older ministers to the younger ministers to give them the instruction of how to function in the household of God. We don't function like the world. We don't do the things in the church that the world does. We are distinct. We are set apart. It drives me crazy when guys come along and they want the church to function like a government entity. We have one king and his name is Jesus. And he gives the marching orders to his church in his word. This is what we are to follow. This is what we are to teach. This is what we are to instruct with the word of God how to conduct ourselves in the household of faith. So, Paul, in dealing with this, tells what the younger men are to do, how they are to live, how the older women are to instruct the younger women to raise up their their children um, and to love their husbands, to be discreet homemakers, good, obedient. And he gives a list of things with regards to the function that goes on in the life of the church. We are, as he says, to be a pattern of good works. There is to be sound doctrine in the life. And sound doctrine, if it's rooted in a heart of faith, is going to produce a life of good works. Now, the good works are of no account to our salvation. They are a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in regeneration. He has caused us then to submit to the teaching of God's Word, not in perfection, but certainly in the direction of our lives. And it's increasing. It's always more and more we're putting off and putting on. A daily repentance, Martin Luther once said, it's the business of the Christian to repent daily. Are there not things that you need to repent of daily? Things that we think, things that we say, things that we do. It's a constant turning from our sin always more and more and a looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are basically simple instructions in the life of the church. Now the difficulty is is that oftentimes the church doesn't read the instructions. So we don't know how to live in the household of faith but it's been given to us. And so Paul tells Titus to keep on preaching it, to keep on teaching it, even as he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word in season and out of season, to rebuke, to exhort, to convict with all long suffering and patience for the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but because they have itching ears, Which means that they want to hear things that are pleasing to them. So when you want to hear things that are pleasing to you, you'll want to gather around people who will tell you things that will please your ears. They'll tell you what you want to hear. Scripture calls that man a hireling, not a servant of the Lord. 
Because if you're going to be a man pleaser, you're not going to be a servant of Christ. You cannot do both. If you're going to be faithful as a Christian, you can't be a man pleaser. You have to stand upon the principles of God's word and live your life according to those principles. No matter who gets angry with you. Now it's not a self-righteousness. You're not going out to just simply uh, you know, get people to be angry at you. You're not doing that. You're not trying to be obnoxious. But when you stand on the principles of Scripture, you're going to irritate people. They're going to get angry with you. So be it. That's the occupational consequences as a Christian. The world is going to hate you. They hated Christ. They're going to hate you as well. So Paul then is with regards to Titus as well. He's telling him, you keep preaching, you keep exhorting. When things are favorable in the church and when they're not. When people want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. It's irrelevant. There's only two seasons. You're either in season or out of season. And Paul says, keep preaching. Because this is what we need. It may at times not be what you want, but it's certainly what you need. And so, the instructions are given. And Paul tells him how he is to deal with the bond servants and how they are to be obedient. And then he comes to this, our text, but just before it he says, that in all things we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I think this codifies the Christian life. It's all to be to the glory of God. You have to ask yourself that question, is this for God's glory? Is this for me? My notoriety? Is this for my preference? Is this for pleasing myself? Or is this to honor the Lord? It's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? And sometimes it's not easy to distinguish. Because as Christians, we want to do things that are honoring to the Lord. But because of sin, the rebellion that is still in us, we want to do what pleases us. And therefore, we struggle at times of doing things that are pleasing to us. And it may be things that are glorifying to the Lord. And the more that you understand the word of truth, the more you're able to make the distinctions in your life. So he says, honoring, adorning the doctrine of God in all things. Whether you're a housewife, honoring and adorning the doctrine of God in all things. Raising up your children, loving your husband, loving your family, being faithful whether you're working in the farm, whether you're working in the hospital, whether you're working in the school, doesn't matter. Adorning the doctrine of God in all things to bring glory to Him in what He's called you to do. Paul says this, <clears throat> For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, let's just pick this apart little by little. The four is a... Is a conjunction as it were it's a result and it says for this reason for this purpose we're to adorn the doctrine of God and everything for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men now when Paul is referring to the grace of God and, and I want you to hear this because this is so often misunderstood grace for many Christians is in their mind, it's some kind of a substance. We speak of the grace of God in that way. 
Like it's something that's poured into you. And that actually is the Roman Catholic doctrine. That grace is a substance that's poured into you. Now, Paul is not referring to God and His essential being as being gracious. This is not what he refers to here about the grace of God that brings salvation. Grace of God is His favor. It's His salvation. It's His help. It's His work in the life of an individual whom He has elected unto salvation. This is the grace of God. The grace of God is a person. You see, because if you take all of those things, it's all Christ, isn't it? God's strength, His help, His favor, His salvation is Jesus. If you're in Christ, you have all that is necessary to your salvation. If you're in Christ, you're under the favor of God. So this is the grace that appears. The grace of God, the person of Jesus Christ, who comes to redeem His people. The people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Christ is the light of the world, John 9. He is the one who lights up every man coming into this world. John 1. So not speaking about the lights that are hanging from the ceiling. Speaking in an anthropomorphic way, in a figure of speech. He's the one who illumines. It is Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, the grace of God that brings salvation. Salvation is not apart from Jesus. Salvation is only in Christ. Salvation is not by your works. Salvation is not determined upon what you do. Salvation is the work of Christ and Christ alone. Now, how does Christ redeem us? By obeying perfectly the law of God. We have a tendency to want to cut the law away and say that it has nothing to do with our salvation. Beloved, it has everything to do with our salvation. Christ fulfills the covenant of works in our place. He fulfills what we cannot fulfill. What we have failed to fulfill. God doesn't cut away His law and say it no longer has any significance at all in the life of the believer. We are redeemed by Christ's perfect work that we might be obedient to the commandments of God. And so, this is the salvation of Jesus Christ that He redeems us. This salvation has appeared to all men. It's been revealed to all men. That the light has shone, that's what it means, to all men. What does it mean, all men? Now, when you compare Scripture with Scripture, you know it can't refer to every single individual in the world. All I need is one example, and that would be Judas. Judas was a devil from the beginning. Salvation of God was not given to him. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. It wasn't given to Esau. Why does God make a distinction? Because he's God. Who are we to reply against God? Who are we to question the Almighty? I mean, we have got to learn from the teaching of Scripture to do such a thing as a fool's errand. We know so very little, and we want to question the Almighty? the one who holds our breath in his very hands, we want to question the judgments that he makes? Beloved, you recognize, don't you, that you deserve, you have merited, you have earned damnation? We deserve hell. 
The wages of sin is death. We've broken all the commandments. We deserve to die, and yet God has redeemed a multitude which no man can number. The covenant promise given to Abraham, the sand and the stars, that's what your descendants will be like. And Christ redeems them by His perfect work. It's appeared. It's come. It's been revealed to all types of men. This is the argument that we read of in 1 Timothy 2. Kings, rulers, those in authority. Not just certain particular people, but all types of people. Not all people, but all types of people. So this is what he's referred to. Appeared to all men. And notice what this does. So the justification, being declared righteous and holy by God in His sight, leads to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we have the declaration that we are righteous and covered by the robes of Christ, and we have the intimate work of the Spirit making us righteous. You can't have one without the other. If you are justified... You will be being sanctified by the Spirit of God. So let me ask you this. Is there change in your life? And I'm not talking about you're getting older. You're getting forgetful. I'm not talking about that. Is there a desire for godly things in your life? Are you desiring Christ more and more? In your life? Is it growing? Is there a growing desire to know Him in a greater and a deeper way? Or are you just one of those, that's the way you are, that you just go along the same old person year after year after year? That's not good news, beloved. That's not a good sign. If there is no change in your life, humility. Repentance. You recognize your own sinfulness. You cling to Christ. Your hope is Him, not you. You recognize that you have a beam in your own eye so you don't go pecking around in somebody that has a splinter in their eye because you have enough to deal with in your own life. Because you see the recognize the sinfulness in your own life. Is that growing in you? Are you more given to godly speech and prayer rather than gossip and slander? I mean, these things have got to be seen as we grow up in Christ. We are being made more and more like Jesus. More and more the mind of Christ is being developed within us. If you are justified, you must be being sanctified. There's going to be a hunger. And I say a perfection. Perfection comes after this life. But in this life, there's growth, beloved. You plant a tree into the ground, and it's a sapling, and you water it, and you feed it, and if it doesn't grow, and all the things die on it, the leaves, and it just drips over, what do you do? You realize that it was dead. There's nothing there. There's no life. You pull it out of the ground. It's just taking up space. It's called a dead branch. Jesus said that there are those that are dead branches. John 15 They're dead branches that are connected to the vine. How is that? Well, they're members of the church. They're members, but they're not born of the Spirit of God. They're dead branches. They are not producers. They are consumers alone. They want to consume all the benefits. They have no desire, no aspirations of producing in the life of the church. They're dead branches. 
They don't produce any fruit in their lives. And they're a hindrance in the life of the church. Are you growing? Are you growing in your hunger for the things of Christ? Are you growing in humility? Are you growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control? Notice, it's growth. You parents, when you have children, and that child all of a sudden is, we would say, stunted in their growth, you'd have concern. And you would say, something's not right. Well, it's the same thing as a Christian. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. We are called to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 2 Peter 3. We are those branches within the vine who produce good fruit. And Jesus said, and your fruit will remain. And because you produce fruit, you're going to be pruned. You're going to go through trials and tribulations and difficulties. For what purpose? That you'll produce more fruit. That's what Paul is saying here with regards to the Christian life. Teaching us, the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness. We see ungodliness all around us. The ungodliness is spawned from Satan And it's in the mind of all the reprobate men. Ungodly rebellion. It's it's lawlessness. It's a desire to do what is right in your own eyes. It's to say, Christ does not rule over me. Well, the grace of God, as the Spirit works within us, teaches us that's wrong. We are to be in submission to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So grace teaches us to deny to put off, to forsake ungodly living. We stand for the truth. In worldly lust, epithemia. This this passion, desire for all things wicked and evil. Grace teaches us to put it off. So what Paul was speaking of in Ephesians chapter 4. Putting off, putting on. Putting off the old manner of living and thinking and disposition and loves, affections. Putting on the new man in Christ Jesus. We should live soberly. Soberly. Now that is not referring to somebody being drunk, but I could use a metaphor. What happens when an individual is drunk? They're not sober and they live and they walk around and they speak like an idiot. Half the time, they don't even know what they're talking about. Words are just running out of their mouth. They wake up the next morning. Oh, I don't remember that. So what happens to a drunk man? They're out of their mind. You know, you, you pull over a, a drunk man and you know, he wants to fight five cops. He's not sober. He's out of his mind. He's not thinking clearly. When Paul is referring to this, he's talking to us to be clear-minded in our thinking. To think things through biblically. So as we're thinking in the line of scripture, we are not going to be like the rest of the world, which is under a delusion. We're going to be sober-minded. We're going to live sober lives. We see all the foolishness all around us. And we don't buy into that. We deny those things. We live soberly, righteously. Just living the right way. And what is right is what God says is right. What the Lord says is right, that's right. That's righteous living. It's to live according to the word of God. 
and we live godly in the present age. Sober, righteous, godly, Christian characteristics. Ungodliness, worldly lusts, that is the world in which we live. We live distinct. And beloved, the distinction, the separation becomes more and more as we grow in the knowledge of the truth. As we grow in Christ's likeness, it becomes more and more distinct. How we live our lives. It's to the honor and glory and praise of God. And we're looking for the hope that come. That hope is Christ. He is the Elpis. He is the one whom all the promises reside. And this is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. We're looking for His coming. He is our hope, our strong confidence, our assurance that all that God has promised in His Word, He is going to bring to pass. We are going to dwell in a kingdom where righteousness dwells. What will that be like? I don't have no idea. I haven't lived in a kingdom where righteousness dwells. I live in a kingdom where unrighteousness dwells all around us. Spiritually, I'm united to the King of Kings. Spiritually, I'm in His kingdom. But practically, I don't dwell there yet. This isn't paradise on earth yet. It's coming, but not yet. And so, that's the promise that He's given. He is going to cast out all things that offend. Here's a promise. All those who have died in Christ will return with Christ. The bodies will come out of the grave. The mortal will put on immortality. The corruptible will put on incorruption. And the soul and the body will be joined together. And we will ever be with the Lord. There will be no more death. No more crying. No more sickness. No more of this sickness. It's common colds. Things that are a nuisance and a hindrance in our lives. Constantly trying to, it seems to me, that everything that's outside of me wants to be inside of me. And everything inside of me wants to be outside of me. It's a strange phenomenon, isn't it, that we go on in this life. That'll be done away with. We will live in a kingdom where all things perfectly honor and glorify the Lord. That's the promise that He's given. We will know even as we are known. That's the promise that is given. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that is given. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. That's our hope, beloved. It's a hope. The hope is a strong confidence. It's the expectation that He is going to bring to pass all that He has promised. It's not here yet. But it's coming. And so we wait. And we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. This is the second coming of Christ. This is not His coming in judgment in 70 AD. This is His literal, physical coming at the end of time, which is in the hands of God Himself. The Father has allotted a particular time in which no more in human development and life as we know it on this earth, it will come to an end. And all the wicked things will be cast out. This earth will be cleansed. The kingdom of God will come down out of heaven. Will be upon this earth. And we will ever be with our Lord in a kingdom of righteousness. We're waiting. We're longing. We're hoping. We're groaning as Paul says in Romans 8. We're longing for that day. And our great God and Savior is Jesus Christ. And look at what he says. Who gave himself for us. Such a precious words right there. Did my Christ gave. 
You know what it means to give? Paul says that he not only to the Thessalonians, he not only gave the gospel, he gave himself to them. To give of yourself, beloved. To give of your time, your talents, your energy, your gifts, that all that God has given, to pour yourself into others. This is what Paul says. Christ gave himself for us. He gave himself to the judgment of God. So that we might partake of the bread and the wine in remembrance of Christ absorbing the wrath of God against our sins. Christ gave himself. He came in the incarnation. He took upon himself the form of a man, truly man, truly God, in one person, two natures, in the one person of Jesus Christ. He gave himself to the scorners. He gave himself to be beat. He gave himself to the whips, the lashes. You know what the cat and nine tails are? The cat and nine tails were, was a short stick that had leather straps tied to it. And on the end of those leather straps were pieces of bone fragment or glass and metal. Anything that they had at that day of a sharp object. And when somebody was beaten with cat and nine tails, they were tied to a post and one would hit them and the cat and nine tails, the leather straps would come around, come to the backside and you would rip it. And so he was 39 lashes, 40 minus one, because to go over was to incur the punishment yourself to the one who was dishing it out. So they stopped at 39 so they would not make a mistake to go over. It was said of Christ that his body cavities, the organs were able to be seen. Josephus accounts for that. He said you could see inside the body cavity because his body had been ripped. He gave himself for us in that sense. But the ultimate was when he gave himself to the wrath of God. Who knows the power of God's anger? To the, the wrath of God which we can't even comprehend that Christ endured. Six hours on the cross. Three hours under the darkness and wrath of God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He gave himself for us. And how will we now live? Will we despise the giving of Christ for us, for our sins, for our salvation by going our own way? No, no, beloved, the grace of God working within us, the Holy Spirit teaches us otherwise. Teaches us to give ourselves to Him. That's why Paul says we are to be living sacrifices of thanksgiving to our God. He gave Himself for us. You know, we... I've told you about meditation. There's something you can meditate on this week. Christ gave himself for us. The us is the people of God. The us is the redeemed. The us is the sheep. The us is all that the Father had given unto the Son. The us is the church. Not for everybody. Not a generic, a specific, a particular redemption. He gave himself for those that were given to him. That he might redeem us. The redeem, lutru, lutron, it's a loosing. He has loosed us from the bonds of Satan and sin. Do you recognize that, beloved? That Paul said that the whole world has been taken captive by Satan to do his will. John says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 2 Timothy 2, 1 John 5. We are those that have been translated from darkness to light. He has loosed the bonds. The payment that we owed to God. 
that the justice of God might be satisfied was paid by Christ. He on the cross became a curse for us that we might become the righteous of God in Him. Galatians 3.13 That He might redeem us from every lawless deed. Christ redeemed us so that we might walk on the highway of holiness. That might be our aim, our desire, our striving is to be on the highway of holiness to give praise to our God. His own special people. Peter picks up on that theme in 1 Peter 2. The zealous for good works, to give him praise, to give him honor. What are good works? The catechism answers that, doesn't it? Those that are done out of true faith, they are done according to the commandments of God, and they are done for the glory of God. Those are good works. Not such as are the opinions of men, but what God says in his word. True faith, the standard of the, God, of the, the law of God, and to the glory of God. These are good works. You're here this morning. It's a good work. You encourage somebody in the congregation. That's a good work. You give of your tithes and offering. That's a good work. You help somebody who is in need. That's a good work. You provide. You give. You share. You care. You love. You encourage. You build up. You edify. Those are good works, beloved. These are things that we are called to do as the people of God. We are to be a pattern of good works. Zealous for good works, bubbling over as the people of God for good works. That's what he's redeemed us for. He's redeemed us to be this type of people. And notice what he says last. Speak these things. Laleo. Keep on talking them. It doesn't matter if people say, you know, I'm tired of hearing it. It reminds me of a, one time I was preaching on forgiveness. I was just going through the text of Scripture. And one Sunday it dealt with forgiveness, and the next Sunday it dealt with forgiveness as well. well. One man was standing at the back of the church after the worship service, and this is what he said All right, you spoke on forgiveness twice, move on. I said, Wow, you know, meet me in my study. We've got to talk some more about forgiveness. So he's saying, Move on. But that's not what Paul says to Timothy or to Titus. Keep on speaking it. As he told Timothy, you know, the time's going to come. They won't put up with it anymore. They'll want itching ears. That means they constantly need to be fed a diet of good, solid, biblical food. Because if you're not, then you'll start eating the junk food. And you know, you know what it's like to eat junk food. You're on a diet. You want to lose weight. You get a good start. And then all of a sudden, the Twinkies come out. The chocolate comes out. And it is so easy to start dabbling. And the next thing you know, that's your daily habit, isn't it? And you started well. And so it is with the truth of God's Word. I'm going to read the Bible every day. Uh, then you get to watching something on TV or reading something else or doing something else. And all of a sudden, there it goes. And you become soft and you become gooey. So Paul told Titus to keep on speaking it. These things, all the things that he's talking about here, keep on speaking it. Doesn't matter what they say. This is your calling. This is your marching order. Keep on bringing. Exhort and rebuke. Parakaleo. Coming alongside others that are struggling and rebuking those that are outright rebelling against it. With all authority. The authority that God has given the minister of the church. Spiritual 
authority. Spiritual authority in the church. I don't have authority over your finances. I don't have authority over your home. I have authority spiritually in the church of Jesus Christ. And it is the Word of God. And notice, this is, this is the, the best phrase that is given right here to a minister. He says, and let no one despise you. Now, when you think about that, <clears throat> you think, okay, well, maybe somebody, let nobody push him aside or speak ill of him. That's not what it means. It's really not a good translation. Uh, the ESV has a better translation of that, of that word. And the, the literally, what the Greek term is, is perifreneo. Freneo means to think and peri is around. So what it means is that Paul is telling Timothy, don't you let anybody think around the gospel. You don't allow anybody to think around the word of God. And people are always trying to do that. But I think, irrelevant. This is what the word of God says. That settles it forever. Don't let anybody cajole you to think any differently. Don't let them work their way around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, beloved, Christ has given himself for us. He's given himself that we would be a holy people. We're not like the world. We're becoming more and more distinct from the world. We are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's causing problems within the world. Why is it that last week that those kids and those teachers were shot in that Christian school? You know why it was? What I read is that girl who was a transgender had attended that school. And she was angry that that was forced upon her. She hated Christian doctrine. She hated Christ. And Christians are becoming more and more open season for the things of this world because we are viewed as the problem in this world. We are turning the world upside down with the doctrine of Christ. We are calling all men everywhere to repent and to believe on Jesus Christ. We are a problem in the eyes of the world. And so we need constant boldness and courage to live as those who are the redeemed of Jesus Christ. Beloved, are you struggling? Remember that Christ gave himself for you. Are you hurting? Remember that he upholds you with a strong arm. Are you dealing with the difficulties of of a workplace? Are you dealing with difficulties of a family? Remember your Savior who gave himself to the lashes that you might have life and that more abundantly. Let that be the joy of your life. As Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There is strength, beloved, in joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Christ gave himself that we might be a redeemed people to honor him and to glorify him in a life of holiness. Keep on walking, keep on praying, keep on living to the glory of the one who gave himself for you. Amen. Shall we pray?